Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Our guest is Martin van Staden, who is an author and researcher who works in public policy and is most closely associated with Free Market Foundation and Sarkelecha. He's pursuing a doctorate in law at the University of Pretoria. Welcome, um, <laughs> welcome, Martin. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I actually had seen you being interviewed by uh, Big Daddy Liberty about uh, the, the, utter- the, the utterances of uh, uh, Luazi Lushaba, the the lecturer in politics at the department of UCT and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the controversy that flared over a statement he made in the course of an, a lecture in which he said, and I quote, Hitler committed no crime. All Hitler did was to do to white people what white people had reserved for us black people. Um, now, the, as a consequence, you had obviously people on the one side saying, you know, that he should be dismissed, he should be fired, he should face the Human Rights Commission. And on the other side, um, his, his supporters said, no, he was taken out of context. Um, and I tried to have a look, uh, look at through, through some of what he said in, in the lecture and I really couldn't see context. Just your, your feeling about given a statement like that, which, uh, does context matter um, or, or is context everything? So I think uh, the context does to some extent matter. Uh, he was saying that in the uh, in the context of making a point about how political science, uh, to his uh, to his mind, had not cared about uh, massacres perpetrated against uh, black and uh, people of color, uh, so-called, uh, but only started caring once Hitler massacred uh, the Jews, uh, who he regards as white. I know there's a debate about that, um, but uh, Lushaba regards as, as essentially as white people and a massacre of white people, and that that somehow shook the political sciences uh, uh, awake and, and led to a development whereby political science started caring about uh, people of color. Now, that's uh, that's the context. He was saying that essentially Hitler according to previous logic, did not commit a crime. Uh, but now, in our current context, uh, we would see it as a crime. But I, I think that that aside, what he was saying was, in any case, uh, laden with uh, historical inaccuracies, uh, which uh, Big Daddy Liberty and I discussed. But briefly, for instance, the Armenian genocide that occurred uh, quite a number of decades before the, mm. the Holocaust uh, was essentially... Uh, a, a genocide of of white uh, Caucasians by a Turkish, uh, ethnically Turkish uh, group, and there was also not a massive outrage globally about the Armenian genocide. Uh, uh, and I wonder how uh, Dr. Lushaba would respond to that because he, he leaves that detail out entirely. But also being a a, a race merchant, essentially, mm. he uh, he links everything to race uh, to the extent that we need to be careful of accepting his premise because mm. it's simply not the case that people cared about the Holocaust because the Jews appeared white. Uh, there were mm. many factors that made it an unprecedented event in human history. Um, 
uh, I know uh, uh, Dr. Lushaba makes the example of the Congolese uh, genocide horrific, uh, led to 10 million plus dead. But the difference there is that uh, there wasn't a developed infrastructure in the Congo as there was in Europe. Uh, there wasn't a active press media in the Congo mm. as there was in Europe. There were many factors that distinguish these two things that do not relate to the fundamental human worth of a black person versus that of a white person. Mm. So there are many problems with what he said, but there certainly was a, a context to it. Mm. Uh, there seem to be two uh, problems here. The one is that he didn't have to make that comment to to make the, to to emphasize the point he was making uh, whether that that point is uh, is valid or not as you say is an, is another thing altogether and the other thing that sort of is really concerning is that there seems to be a very shallow um, knowledge of or understanding of of history and and that goes very much to a point about saying when the when the when the genocide in in, in the congo happened uh, it being in Outside of an area of mass communications and, and mass, and, and mass communication being in the form of radio or television really only came into being shortly before the Second World War when the Holocaust happened. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's all part of a, an unfortunate trend in the academia more broadly, uh, call it a postmodernist, but also perhaps a relativist uh, trend. Uh, and uh, that is that there are no objective um, principles or objective moralities and that everything is, is basically contingent on, in, in this case, how I, as Dr. Lushaba, feel about it. Uh, um, uh, and and uh, that that's that's a massive problem. It's uh, uh, I, I know uh, we want to discuss the uh, burning of the UCT library later, but I think here there is a relevant uh, point, and that is that uh, the people of Dr. Lushaba's school of thought uh, believe in something, for instance, called uh, epimistic violence, uh, mm -hmm. essentially the destruction of knowledge, and they they usually use it in the context of destroying African knowledge or the, the knowledge of uh, uh, people of color uh, to elevate so-called white knowledge and uh, so-called uh, uh, white uh, uh, reality, uh, mm. for lack of a better word. But what happened today, for instance, was quite literally uh, uh, what one would call epistemistic uh, uh, violence, where mm. literal knowledge that is irreplaceable uh, has been destroyed and potentially lost forever. And people from Dr. Lushaba's school of thought essentially have lauded it, have mm -hmm. praised the burning of the UCT library uh, that happened this uh, mm -hmm. this past Monday, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they do not regard it then as epistemistic uh, violence, epistemic mm -hmm. violence, I apologize. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, uh, that's, that just shows that it's all about uh, relativism. It's an injustice mm -hmm. if it's committed against what is perceived to be the uh, underdog class, uh, incorrectly perceived, I must add. But when it is something that happens to knowledge that is, for instance, valued in, in Western civilization, then it's, it's a praiseworthy event. And this is the, the type of poverty uh, that you get, and it also seeps into into the history curriculum, as you rightly point out, the the the, the very non-objective understanding of history and historical facts, uh, and and this is what we're teaching 
the, the, the children, the best and brightest amongst our, our youth and our children going to university, that this is what we're poisoning their minds with. Uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, I must say as a, a classical liberal, I, I feel dirty with my taxpayer money actively funding mm. this nonsense. Um, it's, it's definitely something to be concerned about and to work against. I will, in fact, return to aspects of, of the uh, destruction at UCT uh, later, um, but it, it is all linked. One of the things that that's my concern, and I'd be interested to hear your views on two issues. One is whether he should be fired or not, in other words, or, or whether his freedom of speech should allow him to remain where he is. Um, and, and there are obviously a lot of views on that. I'd be interested in yours. And the other one is the fact that given how the poor historic, the poor knowledge of, of history and the, and the, and the distortion and, and, and basically the, the, the sort of almost pleading victimhood that, 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 that comes with it, um, is there a distinction between responding to the speech per se and on the one hand and dealing with it on the basis of, you know, this person, this was part of a deliberately planned and executed lecture to first year students, many of whom would know nothing or very little about European history and certainly not very much about the Holocaust. Yeah, so... Uh... I, I believe that academics should be free to, to be stupid, essentially. Uh, I, I'm, I'm perfectly, uh, uh, fine with him keeping his job for this, uh, and, uh, uh for any other uh, nonsensical utterances he might make. I think academic freedom is, is very important, um, because, uh, if, if we, for instance, take it away for someone like uh, Dr. Lushaba. It can very easily be taken away from uh, a very exemplary academic like uh, Dr. Professor David Benatar at the same institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there have been attempts at that. Uh, where I do draw the line is where there are uh, explicit but also implicit causes of violence. Um, I have heard uh, uh, hearsay uh, from people in uh, classes uh, at UCT, which may or may not involve this particular academic, that he has spoken in favor of uh, court revolutionary violence, uh, destruction of property, uh, mm. and and so forth, the usual uh, EFF-type mm. uh, uh, retributionary justice type of things. For, for those types of utterances, I think absolutely an academic should lose their jobs. Uh, if there's one thing that the law... Uh, and, and society uh, should uh, be concerned with that is that that is ensuring that people's lives, their liberty and their property uh, is kept secure. And we cannot have people uh, threatening any of those uh, free, free elements of, of uh, human prosperity. So when it comes to that, absolutely, there, there must be uh, at least social condemnation, uh, condemnation and ostracism, uh, professional as well, uh, but even legal action uh, when, when it uh, involves the implicit or the explicit threat of violence mm. um, on on the uh, history uh, part I, I think I, I think it's it's a broader problem uh, uh, and this is something certainly that our universities are encouraging uh, that that must be addressed as such uh, particularly in South Africa I don't know what the experience elsewhere is but there's a very thematic understanding of, of South African history as opposed to a, a detail-oriented mm. understanding. And I'll give one example. Uh, the I believe it was the Department of Public Works or something like that mm-hmm. recently published uh, a slide, slides from a PowerPoint where in one slide they said that 
the 1988 was the heyday of apartheid. Uh, and this is something that is uh, uncritically accepted by mm. everyone who sees it. Uh, and I believe it very much comes from this academic tradition of a thematic understanding of history, whereby between 1948 and even earlier until 1994, there was simply apartheid in South Africa. It was an injustice as a monolithic institution, and it can be condemned at every point with the same level of intensity, which is, of course, simply not historical reality. 1988 mm. was a period of uh, incredible scaling down of apartheid. Uh, it was a period of decentralization of government and of privatization, uh, government actively retreating from its uh, former uh, hold on on the cradle to grave of black South Africans, for instance. It was a very different time from, for instance, the 1950s. Uh, and that's a detailed understanding of our history. But this is the type of thing that our universities and our academics and uh, internationally as well peddle. And that is uh, uh, that we were okay with understanding history with reference to these, these, these themes, this theme of mm. there was oppression. And therefore, uh, if anyone says something for instance, good about what the National Party did in 1991, for instance, passing mm -hmm. a law that gave uh, many black South Africans property rights, then you are a racist uh, mm. because you're praising the apartheid state. Uh, this is the type of thing that we see coming out of our, our academy. Uh, uh, it's, it's not that it wasn't originated here. It's very much a, an American and mm. a French and a German thing that we've received. Um, and I, I think it would be far better for us to address that, um, mm. that, that academic tendency uh, rather than uh, squabbling over uh, what specific academics are doing because really it's, it's endemic, I would almost say. I'd like to ask you if, if you have, have any a suggestion of how one deals with it because, I mean, it strikes me that one of the perhaps contradictions in uh, thematic history is that if everyone has a thematic version of history, then no one has a version of history. It sort of goes in a cycle that will ultimately destroy itself. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. When you have a thematic understanding of history, it's basically useless because you cannot engage in a conversation with anyone who might disagree with you about anything because you're you're not discussing the facts of history. You're just discussing themes. Well, the other person has their own themes or the other person may be uh, discussing facts. It's it's a useless approach to history if if you if your intention is to learn from history and to do better than than what we did before. So it's a totally useless uh, approach and uh, I, I'm not sure I have a, a specific uh, solution for that but I have a kind of a, an overarching solution that uh, you definitely should see coming when you discuss these things of a classical liberal but that is to uh, really abandon state education uh, mm. and, and uh, focus far more on uh, private uh, tertiary education. Uh, there is far more room in private education for uh, a rediscovering of these uh, uh, disciplines and their essential principles. Uh, for instance, uh, the, uh, when it comes to the South African uh, legal curriculum for university students, the Council on Higher Education a few years ago published something that said that uh, in all law faculties, I believe it's limited to state universities, uh, transformative constitutionalism must be the underlying theme of everything, private law, public law, and even the socialization activities of students. Uh, a, a, a very ideological imposition of a particular perspective of, of law 
onto the student body. And that is something that is certainly happening in our state mm-hmm. universities right now, uh, which I think there is there's far more freedom in private education. It's not mm-hmm. a guaranteed freedom, but current certainly uh, exists, uh, current more so uh, around the world, but certainly in South Africa as well. And I think that should be harnessed. Uh, mm-hmm. There needs to be a wholesale abandonment of the ideological indoctrination of our state universities. Uh, I know that will have some uh, costs. Uh, there is certainly a, a, an intellectual cost and a uh, uh, student life costs that uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be an effortless trade-off, mm-hmm. but it will in the long term be better. Uh, I believe invest in, in institutions like academia, the new private Afrikaans university. There are many mm-hmm. English colleges uh, build those into real universities uh, that are free of uh, uh, the in, uh, national democratic revolution, quasi-Marxist uh, yeah. agenda of the state to to indoctrinate our next generation of intellectual leaders uh that would be my uh, uh my primary suggestion uh and and from there you could have a, a quite a, 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 a experimentations across all these private institutions about what works best and i mm-hmm. think what in the end will work best and produce for instance the best historians will be those that focus on a detailed understanding of history rather than this nonsensical thematic approach uh, if, if I, you just you just raise a thought there uh, the the thematic approach of sort of trans transformative um, underpinning of the law um, i wonder if it, essentially that isn't what has led led to the what i can only call as the disgrace of the judicial service committee um, hearings of last week, where at the end of the day, a meritocracy absolutely shattered, <laughs> shattered on the floor. It was, it was, it was a free for all, and transformation came was was described in very limited, shallow, narrow terms. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the um, since uh, an academic called Carl Clare wrote an article in 1998, an American academic uh, wrote an article for the South African Journal of Human Rights, and he proposed this idea of transformative constitutionalism that has to underlie essentially everything that has to do with legal enterprise in South Africa, from education to interpretation to construction of legal meaning. Uh, it should just be underlined by this this so-called but definitely ostensible uh, transformative mission of the Constitution, which I very much dispute. Uh, since then, it has become endemic, and especially in the Ju- Judicial Service Commission, where you have no judges being asked uh, poignant questions about their judicial mm-hmm. philosophy, about problems they've had in deciding cases, uh, a real uh, judicial stuff. Instead, they're, they're constantly asked about how they experience gender, uh, uh relations amongst judges, how they experience race amongst judges, how they would approach to, uh, a case that involves race. It's all about race. It's all about uh, gender uh, equity it's uh, none of it really relevant to mm. a constitutional um, uh, a proper constitutional theory and a, a, a proper judicial approach to doing the job and and that's what's made i think our judiciary very poor mm. because a lot of uh, uh perhaps of the the best judges we could possibly have in our higher and our superior courts do not want to be humiliated in the way that uh, people like Julius Malema humiliate judges uh, in those hearings mm-hmm. where they're asked totally irrelevant questions that they are uh, simply forced to answer 
uh, and and then be uh, accused of uh, I don't know uh, what all manner of things being captured, being infiltrators, uh, uh, nonsense, anti-revolutionary, uh, racists, even. Uh, no, no jurist wants to experience that. And for that reason, unfortunately, we, uh, and I say this with all due respect to our judges, uh, we, we do have a, a very superficial, uh, uh, level of legal reasoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very rare to see a real interrogation of our common law authorities nowadays in the courts. Uh, it's very rare to see a real engagement with the substance of constitutional rights. Instead, it's all about the right to equality and the right to dignity, and that's about the extent of uh, proper constitutional engagement that you mm-hmm. see nowadays. And that is, I think, a direct result of this transformationism that is said to underlie our constitution, which mm-hmm. I think surely it does not. And that, again, is a downstream consequence mm-hmm. of this postmodernist, relativistic, uh, intellectual trend in our universities. This all comes from legal scholarship, uh, and and we would do well to to try our best to to change that trend. The issues that I watched, uh, particularly in, the, in the, I watched the interview of David Unterhalter, and it, it came up with. Uh, uh, the, a sort of pro-Palestinian bias against the South African Jewish Board of Deputies, which is essentially to which he on, on which executive he sat, and it was essentially it's essentially a charity body in the, in the broader sense. And it, there were accusations of white privilege and, and what should be done with it. Um, it, it, it <clears throat> excuse me, it, it it actually got to absurd absurd levels, and you just saw politicians at play in the most crass way humanly humanly possible but i'd like to just go very, uh, sort of for the last few minutes on to the um the this the uct the tragedy of the uct fire and and uh, parts of the library that 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 were burnt um one of the one of the many tweets expressing great satisfaction of what happened came from Kwali Mlandu. now he was very much involved in the in the fismas fall um, agitation. Um, he was a leader of it, and he was facing disciplinary actions. And he, together with a group of his colleagues, managed to have this uh, reconciliation commission. I can't remember entirely what it was called. Established, which exact, essentially exonerated them. There was no disciplinary action taken. It was they disrupted exam time. And his his thesis ended, which when he's granted it, ended with the words "one settler, one bullet." And he said, today has been a beautiful day. In Azania, flames went up like angry bull. It said to those who were listening, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks when, where decades happen. Lenin. And I thought there was a huge irony in this because much, a lot of what was destroyed in this fire it wasn't just, it wasn't just, let's call it white artifacts and records. It was a lot of, artifacts and records from Africa um, and it's you know be careful what you wish for you you will destroy what it is supposedly you're you're uh, you, you're supporting yeah and I mean that's uh, I guess the problem that underlies all of socialism and Marxism and certainly Leninism and that is that there are these lofty ideals about transformation and uh, the people will govern and uh, there will be prosperity for all and the land of milk and honey but at the end of the day the the methodologies that they support in uh, achieving their ends 
uh, is always going to have something to do with violence, always going to have something to do with destruction, and certainly not the creative destruction, but simply destruction. And and uh, this this links back with this academic trend. And uh, in, in, in legal scholarship, it finds the uh, expression in in what's what is called critical legal studies. And there's something in critical legal studies known as trashing. And the idea of that is that critical legal scholars, they call themselves crits, they do not develop. Uh, legal thought. Instead, they they see what is what already exists and they trash it. They criticize it. They break it down. They deconstruct it, and that is where they leave it. And this uh, this is a, a, exactly the the type of mentality that that uh, characterized fees must fall, for instance, uh, at, at least from its intellectual side, uh, where there is this call for decolonization, but there is no there is no positive content to it. There, it's very rarely said what exactly is it that that is meant by the decolonization of uh, education, uh, but what, what they can tell you is that it means getting rid of Western influences, uh, especially if they're regarded as white, uh, except, of course, the Western influence of of Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, yes. uh, and, and uh, Vladimir Lenin, because those Western influence we can we can keep, mm-hmm. uh, but it's 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 this 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 not this relativistic postmodern mentality that that will see uh, education and specifically university education really lose its meaning entirely and to an extent that has started. A lot of people are convinced that the era of the university is simply over and uh, well, I can't necessarily disagree with them. I find it tragic. I think the university has a, an incredibly important role to play in society still. But uh, uh, the academics and the intellectuals who represent this tradition uh, uh, are, are accelerating that decline. And I, this is not to say that I don't think we should have African systems of knowledge developing in the academia. We absolutely should, uh, but they should exist. Uh, 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 they should uh, uh, survive on their own merit. They should be advocated on their own content, uh, the the the. the the workability and the the goodness inherent goodness of the ideas themselves rather than this this uh this trashing saying that uh there's something in history that taints we- uh, so-called western knowledge and in its place we need an undefined unspecified uh mm. african alternative i don't think that's a constructive way to make use of of academic freedom and and intellectual uh resources and unfortunately this individual you're talking about i think was most inappropriately awarded his uh, his degree having signed it off with such an implicit call to violence uh, mm-hmm. it shows that the peer review process at least with him has failed um and uh, uh, it's it's simply a, an indication of a far wider problem in, in the academia. I have to end it there, unfortunately, but uh, I think we canvassed a lot of extremely interesting ideas and issues. And uh, thank you for coming on, and I hope to have you back again in the future. Absolutely, Sarah. Have a, have a nice uh, evening, and to your listeners as well.